morning and happy Sabbath. I sincerely appreciate the, the opportunity to share another Bible study with you in the form of, of a sermon. And as we get started this morning, um, I just have one favor to ask, if you're willing. As I open with prayer, I wonder if you would pray for me. I, um, I'm always amazed at how God uh, allows us to to talk to each other about him, you know, like instead of perhaps having angels or perfect beings from another planet, he chooses us whose righteousness is as filthy rags to talk to each other about his gospel. And I find that amazing. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we ask that you would send your Holy Spirit into the sanctuary today. Please help us to leave here excited about Jesus. Touch each one of our hearts, including my own. I pray in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. This morning, I'd like to start with um, by reviewing a familiar incident in the life of Jesus that is narrated by three of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And since we're still studying the book of Matthew together, I'll go ahead and read the account um, from the book of Matthew, and I'll invite you to open your Bible to Matthew 22, Matthew chapter 22, and verse 15. I'll be reading out of the King James Version, Matthew 22, and verse 15. And while you're looking for the verse, I'll go ahead and and set the stage. In in verse 15, we're going to find the Pharisees plotting <clears throat> on how they, they can trap Jesus in his words. <clears throat> Excuse me. And that is because if you read the verses before 15, you'll discover that Jesus had just told them the parable of the wedding feast that included the detail on the guy who didn't have the garments on and got tossed out. And according to, we know from Mark's version of the story, that the Pharisees, upon hearing this parable, um, correctly perceived that Jesus was talking about them. And so, in their selfish, unrepentant hearts, they were upset, and they were looking for a way to tangle him up and kind of hit him back. And so, this is, uh, and this is where we pick up the story here in verse 15. And I'll, I'll, I'm going to read through verse 22. It says, Then went the Pharisees and took counsel how they might entangle him in his talk. And they sent out unto him their disciples with the Herodians, saying, Master, we know that thou art true and teachest the way of God in truth. Neither carest thou for any man, for thou regardest not the person of men. Tell us, therefore, what thinkest thou? Is it lawful to give tribute unto Caesar or not? But Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, ye hypocrites? Show me the tribute money. And they brought unto him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. Then say he unto them, Render therefore unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. When they had heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. The rebuke that that Jesus hit these guys with in verse 21 is really one for the ages. I mean, 
he literally shut their mouths so bad that they, they had to marvel and walk away, the Bible says. They, they, despite all their careful planning, their evil plot was just no match for Jesus. And those of us reading the story so many years later could very well do the same thing. We could also walk away, except where they walked away defeated, we could walk away happy. It's kind of like, yeah, way to go, Lord. Uh, way to slam the bad guys. Um, but I, I don't think that God wants us to drop the story here and walk away so quickly, just excited that he slammed the bad guys with a good line. Because his response in verse 21, render to Caesar the things which are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. These words are not just an off-the-cuff punchline designed to show that he had somehow had greater debate skills than they did. Instead, the words of, of Jesus are loaded with meaning for Christians of every age, including our own. And we, and, and we can know this for several reasons, including the fact that Jesus himself warned us that idle words are not acceptable. In, in Matthew 12, 36, he says plainly that on judgment day, all of us will be held to account for the idle words that we've spoken. So surely he who will one day judge idle words is not himself using idle talk to dismiss a bunch of hypocrites. His words had to mean something real. And so because we can count on the words of Jesus being full of life and full of meaning, I'd like to spend the rest of our time this morning considering just a small portion of what he said in verse 21 to see if there's something that we can learn and apply to our lives this morning and today. I'm referring to the words that are the sermon title, Render to God the Things that Belong to God. See, most Christians, or those who consider themselves religious, really have no problem with the first part of his statement. Render to Caesar the things that belong to Caesar. The fundamental principle that Christ was pointing out there with respect to our relationship to the state it's sort of a no-brainer for Christians of our age. Um, I mean, like the Jews struggled with the Roman government, but those of us who live in America, we get along okay with the state. We pay our taxes, we're careful to stay out of civil trouble, and we're quite happy to play by the rules and, and just avoid any kind of civil trouble. But when it comes to rendering to God what belongs to Him, we struggle. And the question for us as Christians is, what exactly is it that we should be rendering to God that belongs to Him? See, Satan would have us believe that the answer is nothing. We don't owe Him anything. Um, just accept Jesus, move on with your life, everything's good. But the words of Christ in this story erase any notion that the answer could be nothing. And so... If you will, please turn with me in the book of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 10. And I'm going to read verses 12 and 13. Deuteronomy 10, 12 and 13, as we pursue the question of what it is that we should render to God. And we'll read a, a few verses from here and a couple more from around the Bible. Um, and then we'll come back to the question. Deuteronomy 10. Verses 12 and 13. And it says, And now, Israel, what does the Lord thy God require 
of thee, but to fear the Lord thy God, to walk in all his ways, and to love him, and to serve the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, to keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command thee this day for thy good. Okay, moving right along, we go one book over to Joshua. I'm going to read Joshua 22 and verse 5. Joshua 22 and verse 5. And it says, But take diligent heed to do the commandment and the law, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, charged you to love the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways and to keep his commandments and to cleave unto him and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. Two more quick verses going all the way to the back of the Bible. First uh, John chapter 5. First John chapter 5 and verse 3. It says, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. And his commandments are not grievous. And if you turn just one page over in most Bibles, um, we go to Second John, verse 6. John, Second John only has one page, so just verse 6. And this is the love that we walk after his commandments. This is the commandment that as ye have heard from the beginning, you should walk in it. We could literally go through the entire Bible reading verse after verse that would drive the same message. That what God requires of us is our obedience to his commandments. From the books of Moses to Joshua to the judges, Ezra, Nehemiah, King David, Solomon, Daniel and the prophets, all through the New Testament, there is one consistent plea from the Lord our God toward us, and that is to obey his commandments. See, God owns the copyright on humans. When you, when you create something, you own the copyright on it, and God created us for his glory. And I'm just going to read quickly uh, Revelation on that point. Just read Revelation 4 and verse 11. Revelation 4 verse 11 says, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive the glory and honor and power, for thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure... They are and were created. Our supreme allegiance is supposed to be toward God. This is the reason why it's a sin for us to take the glory for ourselves in the things that we do. Paul reminds us in 1 Corinthians 10, 31 that in everything we do, do it to the glory of God. Because when we don't, we're acting like the enemy who, 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 wanted, to take the, who wanted to be God and take the glory to himself. God wants us to be like him, created in his image, but he doesn't want us to be him. And I'd like to pause here and just say something to our young people. If you're listening, as Christians, we understand that the commandments of God are divided up in two distinct categories, right? The first four, which deal with our allegiance to God, and the last six, which deal with how we should treat our fellow men. And when you study the life of Jesus, you, you, you'll, you'll notice that he was almost never, if ever, accused 
of breaking one of the last six commandments. In other words, we don't hear his critics ever saying that he didn't respect his parents, he was guilty of murder, he somehow engaged in some sexual sin, or he was stealing or coveting. All of the accusations against Christ came from him supposedly breaking one of the first four commandments, especially the Sabbath. And here's what I want to tell you. Like Jesus, the greatest opposition you will face in your life is when you try to live your life in harmony with the principles of the first four commandments. Because those are the ones that show your allegiance to God. And on top of it, the enemy knows that if you keep those first four, you'll receive the power to do the other six. And so, when, when your allegiance is, is solid, is, 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 it's solid to God, your life will radiate a beauty of holiness that can only come from Jesus Christ. And the enemy hates that. He will come with guns a-blazing to do anything he can to shake you from your commitment to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. Which is another way of saying he'll do all he can to block you from making God first, to entice you into erecting idols in your life, to live a life that takes God's name in vain, and to have you trample the Sabbath. And one of the deadliest weapons in his arsenal is sometimes our Christian friends. And you need to be wise in the spirit in dealing with this. So I'm going to share a verse with you that can help you. I'm going to turn to Psalm 119 and verse 74. Psalm 119, 74. And here David says, They that fear thee will be glad when they see me, because I have hoped in thy word. You see, when your Christian friends see you and are not glad that you have hoped in, in God's word, be careful. There's something wrong with that picture. A true Christian friend will not challenge your religion and invite you to do things that are contrary to the word of God. And David, who wrote Psalm 119, took care to surround himself with, with people who love the Lord. If you scroll back a few verses to 63, he says, I am a companion of them that fear thee, and of them that keep thy precepts. We need to be careful in choosing our friends. Whenever any of us are faced with attacks over our faith, we need only remember that we have permission from Christ to render to God the things that belong to Him. A genuine obedience to the law of God should drive everything that we do. And although there's no denying that the enemy does slip in his jabs along the way sometimes, even when we're doing the right thing, there are Christians who will live out their entire lives not understanding that a casual experience with the commandments of God is the reason for many of the defeats that they will suffer in their lifetime. Even when, when some decide to get serious about the Lord, for some reason, rather than focusing on intimacy with Christ, they, the enemy tricks us into placing all of our emphasis on prophecy and signs of the times, and all of that is right and good, but we need to be careful on where we place our focus, because at the end of the day, God is not waiting for us 
to understand when the next earthquake is coming. Stop waiting for us to figure out how to predict the next market crash. Stop waiting for us to know uh, the significance of, of this war, the prophetic significance of this war versus that war. What he's waiting for, he's waiting for us to, to put him first so that he can transform us and pour his spirit upon us and send us out to finish his work on earth. A converted heart is what God is waiting for. And the Bible says in Psalm 19.7 that the law of the Lord converts us. So it's no surprise that the enemy spends so much energy on trying to convince Christians that commandments are not that important. They don't save you. Don't worry about them. We're saved by Jesus only. And while I suppose it's true that we aren't saved by the commandments, they keep us converted. And we can go to John chapter 14 to find at least one clue of why that is. John chapter 14, I'll invite you there. John 14 and verse 21. Jesus is speaking here and he says, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him, and I will manifest myself to him. See, there's a, there's a certain level. Jesus says he'll, if you keep his commandments, he will manifest himself to you. And there's a certain level of interaction and communication with God that is only possible to those that keep his commandments. Remember the words of Moses in Psalm 91? He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High. There is a secret place that God has for His children, for those who love Him. And sincere commandment keeping is the thing that opens the door to that secret place. And the the continual and intimate interaction with God in that secret place keeps us converted. I'm going to read Psalm 25, 14. Psalm 25, 14. It says, The secret of the Lord is with them that fear Him, and He will show them His covenant. Right here in this verse it says, His covenant is the first thing that God wants to show people when He has you all to Himself. And I, I just, I ask myself and I ask you, wouldn't, don't you want to be in that secret place? Hearing about his commandments directly from him, sharing your deepest concerns with him in private, receiving divine direction, tailor-made for your life. You know, once in a while, I'll hear someone say that Adventists are legalists because we want to pay too much attention to the commandments of God. But nothing could be further from the truth. Adventists keep commandments because God wants us to and because we want to be in that secret place with Jesus. And when we withhold our allegiance to God and refuse to keep His law, it has the same effect as when we withhold our tithe money. It dries up our bones and we live shallow lives because 
God multiplies everything we give him. When we return our tithe and give an offering, he multiplies that many times over. But when we give him homage and praise through our sincere commandment keeping, he also multiplies that many times over. He multiplies our godly character traits with each commandment that we keep. For example, when we exercise the first commandment, and I'm going to turn to Exodus 20. We're not going to go through all the commandments. Just a couple of them. When we exercise the first commandment and decide that we're going to trust God instead of the world, God multiplies our faith. He pours faith back into our lives. Ephesians, Ephesians 2.8 says that faith is a gift of God. And as we keep making a decision to trust him on everything, like Abraham, God in, increases our faith many times over and counts it to us as righteousness. And there are many things we can do to do this commandment. Right? We can pick our relationships God's way. That's trusting him. We can pick our entertainment God's way. That's trusting him. We can trust God with what should go into our mouth. He has the guidelines in scripture. That's trusting him. And our faith will grow day by day. And as we exercise the second commandment. And refuse to place our hope on anything that is not Jesus. God multiplies and pours real hope and joy into our lives. Colossians 1.27 says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And that same verse says that this is the hope that the Gentiles will see. So when we replace Jesus with idols, aside from being idol worship, it actually blocks the view of Christ that others would have. The dying world around us cannot see Jesus. And this is a big deal because Jesus is exactly what this world needs. And so through idol worship, Satan is able to keep us down by introducing artificial hope into our lives. And I should say that if you... Most mental health experts will tell you that depression comes when you lose hope. And so it's interesting that hope is what God wants to feed into your life through the second commandment. And so through artificial hope, Satan keeps us down. Money, material, possessions, promotions at work, our marriage, our children, whatever we have erected in our lives in the place of Jesus Christ will eventually break and bring us down. Because in this life, the only thing we can lean on that will never fail is Jesus. And if we let God multiply real hope and joy into our lives by keeping his second commandment, we'll be in a good place. Excuse me. When you consider the third commandment, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that takes his name in vain. This commandment multiplies love into our hearts. And you wonder, love, it's, this commandment's really about love. See, when, when a lady, when a young lady falls in love, for example, and marries a guy and takes on his name, if she goes out the next day and does terrible things, it's an embarrassment to the husband and to the name. But God promises that if we take on his name, it will not be a meaningless experience. But he cannot free us from our guilt, from sin, if we're only pretending to love him. 
This commandment is really about our sincerity of worship and true reverence for Jesus, whose name we've taken on. And we'll touch on one more, the Sabbath. Wow, this, this commandment is about God's grace and peace. You know, when we keep the Sabbath, God speaks His grace and peace into our lives. It starts by Him saying, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Sometimes, I, I think uh, many of us think it, it says, remember the Sabbath day to make it holy. And we try to add all kinds of things to it, attempting to somehow make something holy out of it that's already been made holy at creation. All he wants us to do is remember that he wanted to have a relationship with us from the beginning. Those who do not exercise the worship of God through the keeping of the Sabbath completely miss out on the sanctification that God multiplies to us through this commandment. When we keep the Sabbath, it yields true peace and rest into our lives. If you think about it, peace is a fruit of the Spirit. And so... It's, it's not a surprise that we would receive peace through keeping this, this commandment. Most of the time we, we think of sin as committing a wrong or some sort of wrong. And the second part of the commandments sort of fall in that area. We can actively dishonor our parents, take a life, deceive our spouse, steal from our employers and others, lie, covet. But we also know that there are sins of omission. And ignoring the first four commandments is a good example of that. There is much more to God-likeness than just not doing evil. We need to actively trust God with our decisions. We need to actively seek Christ in us, the hope of glory. We need to actively show our sincerity in worshiping Him, whose name we've taken on. And we need to actively remove our foot from the Sabbath and honor Him, not doing our own ways, nor seeking our own pleasure, nor speaking our own words on His holy day. And so by accepting God's invitation to worship Him through sincere commandment-keeping, we will literally be rendering to God what belongs to Him. And our lives will be radically changed for the better. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you once again for Jesus Christ. Please forgive us, Lord, if in some way we have allowed your commandments to slip to the back burner of our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit will leave with each one of us today and help us to determine to follow you more closely. We ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.